I looked around this morning because um, John <laughs> was concerned about me. I had a, an automobile bicycle accident a couple of months ago, and my I had a fracture in the C4 vertebra, but luckily it was in the front, so my spinal cord is not at risk, but I am having trouble moving my neck, and Ron, uh, John was noticing yesterday that he thought I could, I didn't, I usually look around, <laughs> John was noticing that I didn't look all the way to the right. But actually, it's the left side that I can't. This is the side that doesn't. Accident, old age, sickness, death. What difference is it? <laughs> crumbling. It's all crumbling before our eyes. I have a confession. I wasn't going to confess, but it just popped out of my mouth. <laughs> so now I have to tell you my concern. <laughs> now I'm in real trouble. I haven't been sleeping very well since I've been here, which also, you know. <laughs> oh dear. Um, you, know, you know, there's things that you need to get used to when you get older. You should enjoy your youth. <laughs> Because it's downhill from wherever you are. It's going downhill. <laughs> but I tell you, I wouldn't trade the mind I have now for the mind I had when I was 16 or even 20. My 20s were disaster. <laughs> I was going to read you the talk I gave to the school, my last talk before I left. And it had a little bit about that, that kind of stuff with me, but uh, maybe next time I come. What was I talking about? Oh, <laughs> confession. <laughs> I conveniently forgot. So I haven't been sleeping, so two days or something ago, or three days ago, I think it was, I was really hardly, you know, I was kind of just woozy. So um, I think. I had a cup of coffee from I, um, Cafe Martin. Cafe Martin. Delicious cup of coffee. <laughs> Just delicious. And in fact, it helped. Perked me up. There I was, ready to go. Give a talk. <laughs> Very good. It worked really well. So I think it was yesterday or the day before. I don't remember. Um, I woke up really early in the morning and I um, kind of putted around the house and took a shower and so on and so forth and I was, I looked up on the, because uh, I thought it would do the same thing. I never drink coffee, I'm not a coffee drinker. A half a cup of coffee and I'm you know, totally alert. <laughs> um, and happy, it makes you happy. <laughs> I got up, you know, it was like 4.30 in the morning, and <laughs> trying to do something useful. I made my bed, and I <laughs> because I had looked up on the internet, and it said Martin's Cafe didn't open until 7. <laughs> and I was just as tired as I was the other day, so I thought it was legitimate, you know, I have to... 
you know, uh, be present when people come in. It's really terrible. <laughs> if people come in and they're telling you their life story and you're going... <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> So I walked slowly. <laughs> it was like five o'clock. <laughs> it took me an hour to get from 9th Street to 5th and 3rd. <laughs> how do you say that? How do you do that when you say, like, 5th and 3rd? How do you know whether it's Avenue or Street? <laughs> no, I'm serious. 5th Avenue and 3rd Street. What? Do you have to say Avenue, or is it like you say one first and everyone knows that street? They just say the avenue first. They just say the avenue first. Because I know, I, because when people were talking about the subway, they say the three five, and I thought I thought they just meant the thirty five. <laughs> but they didn't. They meant the three and five. But in New York, everything's so fast. <laughs> Drop the and. <laughs> Anyway, um, so there I was, you know, walking to Cafe Martin, and I said, there's a bus stop right in front of Cafe Martin on 5th Street Avenue. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so I sat down on the bus stop, and of course, not very much was happening that early in the morning in New York. <laughs> <laughs> And um, so I sat down and I waited and waited and waited. It was like five minutes until seven o'clock. And I knew I had to be here. You know, to, I usually come early and work on my talk and then um, eat breakfast. We eat breakfast together. It's lovely in the morning. And so I needed to be there. So I, at five o'clock, I start, started getting, you know, I mean, it's five minutes to seven. I was thinking, oh my God, you know, I have this plan, right? You have this plan. The universe, you know, somewhere has to hear me. <laughs> you know, I made this plan <laughs> that the store, you know, it says said on the internet. <laughs> it was supposed to be open at seven o'clock. At which time I would get my coffee. <laughs> well, anyway, thankfully for my state of mind. Um, the guy actually was there at like seven o'clock. It was so I was so grateful <laughs> for the simple things in life. <laughs> and he opened the store, and I went in, and I got a um, cafe latte to go. <laughs> I think that's probably the first time in my life I have ever done that. It was kind of felt very mature. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to say it that way, you know, as if I had done it. <laughs> 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 so then I said, I said, I'd like a cup, you know, like a coffee latte. <laughs> <laughs> but then I had to find out how much it cost. I thought, 
I thought, that's not mature. <laughs> you were really, you know, a, a smoothie, smooth person. You wouldn't ask how much it costs. You know, you would just know. <laughs> anyway, so I got the coffee latte and I came back here and I, I drank some of it and nothing happened. That was a really interesting thing. That day, nothing happened. So I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So, well. <laughs> What? Decaf. Decaf. Mm -hmm. <coughs> I'm, get, I'm getting to the confession. That's not even a confession. <laughs> so, um, so today I didn't have any coffee and I didn't sleep again very much last night. I was up at two, I think it was. I say two and. And I stayed up for a little, for a while. I stayed up for about an hour and a half. And then, then I went back to sleep and I was able to sleep again. But I came and I was really tired. Here, so I thought, instead of coffee, I will try music. This is my confession. So while I've been reading my um, uh, talk to talk to you, I was listening to salsa music. <laughs> <laughs> Which clearly worked. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, it's actually okay today because today you don't sit zazen anymore. The session is just about almost over and I don't have to, you know, hold a space for you anymore. So, um, I feel okay <laughs> laughing with you. But I do want to say this, you know, before I start talking, I do want to say this, that um, a couple things. One, thank you so much for <coughs> sitting and your effort. It was really an extraordinary effort, especially for those of you, and there were a lot who had never done a session before. It's really outrageous that you decided to sit for five days with hardly any experience, and you did really well. And all of the people who had set, sat session before, who really held the space down for them until they settled, it was really good. Um, oh, right. But so you should know this. You don't yet maybe know this, although you have had little smatterings and tastes, that you're really more open than you know. You know, you're more sensitive than you think you are. And when you leave here, please be aware of that. You know, don't watch you know, like TV, don't stimulate yourself right away. Try not to, um, try to ease back into your life if it's at all possible. Um, your emotions are very much on the surface, you know, and, um, and the, you know, part of that, or the other side, it's not the other side of that, part of that is, is that your senses are very cleared out. Yeah, you may have been noticing this if you walk home that when you go outside, you can really feel the breeze, and you can hear the birds are particularly lovely, and you know, um, and, and that's true. That, that's the way it is because your mind has quieted, and there's more space, and there's not so much chattering mind that's fogging you. So please take care of yourself.
So I thought I'd start with a poem by David White, who I like <coughs> very much. <coughs> it's called The Faces at Braga. You may know this. In monastery darkness, by the light of one flashlight, the old shrine room waits in silence. While above the door, we see the terrible figure, fierce eyes demanding, will you step through? And the old monk leads us, bent back, nudging blackness, prayer beads in the hand that beckons. We light the butter lamps and bow, eyes blinking in the pungent smoke. Look up without a word and see faces in meditation. A hundred faces carved above, eye lines wrinkled in the hand-held light. Such love in solid wood, taken from the hillsides and carved in silence, they have the vibrant stillness of those who made them. Engulfed by the past, they have been neglected, but through smoke and darkness, they are like flowers we have been growing through the dust of eroded slopes then slowly opening faces turned toward the mountain. Carved in devotion, their eyes have softened through age and their mouths curve through the delight of the carver's hand. If only our faces would allow the invisible carver's hand to bring the deep grain of love to the surface. If only we knew as the carver knew how the flaws in the wood led his searching chisel to the very core. We would smile too, and not need faces immobilized by fear and the weight of things undone. When we fight with our failing, we ignore the entrance to the shrine itself and wrestle with the guardian, fierce figure on the side of good. And as we fight, our eyes are hooded with grief and our mouths are dry with pain. If only we could give ourselves to the blows of the carver's hands. The lines in our faces would be the trace lines of rivers feeding the sea, where voices meet, praising the features of the mountain and the cloud and the sky. Our faces would fall away until we, growing younger toward death every day, would gather all our flaws in celebration to merge with them perfectly, impossibly, wedded to our essence, full of silence from the carver's hands. <coughs> Sashin, you know, Sashin is like that. Sashin is a carver. Chip, 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 chip. <coughs> Until finally we give up, the mind gives up, and we allow whatever difficulty it is we think we are, whatever failure we think we are, whatever imperfection we've seen during the days of sitting, to just simply be there and not muck around with it and allow, allow it to fade, really, and, uh, in, the, in the growing uh, uncovering of silence.
the last day of Sashin is really interesting for a couple of reasons, but one of the really main reasons it's interesting is because you, you, it, it's, uh, you get a really good, if you, if you watch, you get a really good um, look at how you, how we recreate a me, how we recreate a me. And I bet, you know, I don't know for sure, but I bet that this last period of zazen that you sat was, pretty, was probably the hardest one that you did, unless you just gave up. You gave up and you just sat there and it was okay, last period, you know, when is it over? But if you try to come back, you probably notice that um, it different than it was the first days of the session, what's happening now is that what's creeping in is time. You know, you you you, you you're almost there. <laughs> in some imagined future. <laughs> like my coffee. You think it's going to happen. And you start believing it and so you start making plans and all of a sudden there's a future and then there's a past. And you can see, you know, in this kind of spaciousness that whether you know it or not, you've actually developed this, not developed, I keep, you've uncovered for yourself, um, you begin to recreate a me. And it's really interesting to watch. It's really interesting to watch. You, I remember when, um, I, I, yeah, Trungpa was a wonderful, I don't know how you guys feel about Trungpa, even if you know who he was, he's a one, wonderful, wonderful teacher of Buddhism, master, he was a um, crazy wisdom master teacher who taught um, Vajrayana Buddhism, um, Tibetan style. I just did something really terrific. One of the um, consequences of my accident is that this part of my lip doesn't shut. So there are little things that happen that you take for granted that I now appreciate. <laughs> so like when I'm swimming in the water, it, water comes into my mouth because it doesn't shut. And one of the things I can't do is, um, if I have water in my mouth, of course, I can't like swish it around like you do to kind of pinch your mouth and swallow, you know? So, but it's getting better because I've been doing exercises, you know, I go like this with my teeth. Anyway, I just drank a little bit of water and just a slight, gentle little, you know, just went a little bit there and it didn't, it didn't pop out. So. <laughs> <laughs> and it was good. Anyway, Trungpa <coughs> talked about and he wrote about too in um, his book, um, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, which is a terrific book. It was one of the early books that he wrote. I think he must have wrote it in the early 70s, I guess. And, um, or maybe the mid-70s, somewhere around the 70s. It's a great book. And um, in one part, he talks about the development of the ego. He talks, and the way, this is the way he um, talks about it. He says that there is this original spaciousness, this original awakeness that we are. And that, this is how he put it, he says that it somehow, it just kind of, it's like it gets, 
faster or more energetic, and it begins to dance with itself. So we put it, <laughs> and it goes, and then it goes and goes, spin, 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 and dancing with itself, and it forgets that it's actually this space, and suddenly it takes a look at itself, and it thinks that there's a me in space. It, means it makes a separation between itself and itself. And there's a little bit of self-reflection there, and out of that comes form and ignorance. Ignorance being simply ignoring that there is just this one whole spaciousness out of which form arises. And there is, he emphasizes that there's nothing wrong with this. It's just the way that it is for human beings. Anyway, once you have that, you have sensation, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, <coughs> which you can experience and ought to experience. One day you should just do a session completely devoted to noticing pleasant and unpleasant and neutral feelings on the minute level. This is a very um, classic Vipassana practice. They sit and they just notice sensation. And if you do that enough and carefully and minutely enough, the body um, disappears, of course, you know, in just bursts of energy. <coughs> but anyway, you can also do that during the day. You know, you can watch yourself just based on sensation, the level of sensation, grabbing something and pushing something away. It's where um, <coughs> you can practice, uh, you can practice that in many, in many ways, in many levels. And then there's perception, impulse and perception, that organizes all of these evidently thousands of hits of sensation that the body is <coughs> capable of doing. So perception is a kind of an organizer and a, you know, it focuses our attention on particular sensations. And by that time, you know, we're getting a little bit more solid. And then what happens, of course, is we put thought, we put emotion thought or um, some scars, what's the English translation? What's the English translation that's kind of? It's, it's volitional, it's volitional thought specifically. Volitional thought? Yes, yeah. yeah, so present, correct thought. And, um, right. Discursive thought, is it, did I say that? Discursive thought, you know, we put conceptuality on top of this basically, so far, you know, physical event, physical activity. We, we begin to have conceptuality and then we have real solid blocks of me and other. And dualistic consciousness follows from that. So, um, it's not that you would in this last period of, you know, meditation exactly see the working of that, although you can study that, that's a classic study. Some people are really good at that kind of um, minute inquiry into self. But you certainly can see the self developing in that last period of zazen through um, conceptuality, for sure. You know, building, rebuilding your life, 
It's what happens. You recreate your life in the last period. Uh, the way the way you uh, talked about um, self being created, like that author, the, uh, the spiritual material. Yeah, uh, it kind of seemed like uh, one of the first things that would come up. Sort of like for me, at least in this last year, it was awesome. Um, I had a feeling of like restlessness, and there was like energy moving very, very quickly uh-huh. that I did not notice, or at least I did not notice the like the past four days. Mm-hmm. And in these last two periods of thousand, it was very noticeable. And I was wondering if that, and the way you described <coughs> what Rebecca was talking about, with you know the, when the body when the body creates an ego, the mind creates an ego, they sort of moves very quickly. Was <coughs> to be connected in the sense that were the first things. Could you say that last part again? I didn't hear. With, when you were describing the way the mind creates an ego, according to this book, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned that what hap- one of the first things that happens is that uh, this energy starts to move very quickly. Yeah. And so I was wondering if there uh, that would be connected to why. You know, you might feel this, really, oh. you know, this this restlessness uh-huh. during these last two periods of sazen uh, that I didn't feel in the, la- in the last entire time. Time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's connected. I'm not. Um, I don't even know if that's the truth necessarily. <laughs> you know what Chunko was talking about. Although I trust him enormously. Um, I don't think they're necessarily connected, but certainly that rush of energy at the end is a very real experience, yeah. and uncomfortable, can be, yeah. So, uh, you know, usually the suggestion is not to do anything with it, not be so interested in it, you know, not push it away, just open, wide. They're usually, um, that kind of energy, you know, very often produces um, not produces, but it uh, how can I say this? supports certain um, um, habitual tapes that we have, mental tapes that we have in uh, in creating a self. Everybody has only around three to five really basic thoughts that go round and round and round in your head, and in fact, you know. Really, all you have to do in Sashin is just sit there and watch those thoughts and, and not you know, make further stories about it. And what happens is eventually you just get sick and tired of them. And just that in alone is a huge step in practice. When you're just, ba- you know, you've heard the same thought a hundred thousand times and you're just so not interested anymore. And that's a really, good stage in practice because that that being bored means you're no longer reactive to that to whatever those thoughts are and usually like I said they're only like three to five everybody has most people have even you know we share a lot of those three to five thoughts now they're Yes, it, what my, the thought I just has kind of strange, and you know the, the the Dalai Lama when he started teaching people in the West, he was I think shocked. Well, anyway, I use the word shocked. I don't know if he was shocked. He was certainly surprised 
when he was told and saw over and over again that one of the main take thoughts that go over and over in the mind of Western people is that we're not good enough. That, that tape doesn't exist for Tibetan people. <clears throat> for some reason, their culture, the way they're raised or whatever, doesn't have um, self, maybe self-hatred maybe is too strong a word, but it, they don't have that self-hating thing that, you know, lots of us do. It's one of our main tapes. So hopefully, sitting Sashin, you've become familiar with at least, you know, three or four out of your five main ones. You've heard them before. Yes? Sorry, you're probably getting there, but I'm wondering if you give some more examples. Of main thoughts? Tape loops. Tape loops? Anybody want to share? <laughs> I'm too much. I'm too much? I'm too much. Another one? I'm not loved. I'm not, I'm not loved and, I'm not good enough to be and loved. I'm not lovable. That's, yeah. a very, that's a very common one. We, many of us have that one. Somebody else? Am I doing this right? <laughs> Am I doing it right? I'm not, it's another variation of I'm not good enough. Right. Right? Am I doing this right? What else? I can never measure up. I can never be measuring up. Mine is a little bit longer, but it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I basically spent the last session, half of it, beating myself up for having a third cup of coffee. I was like, I'm such a wonderful uh, first um, session. It was so present. I did yoga and everything. And then I decided, I gotta have that third cup of coffee. And I basically spent like half of it. And I was just like powerless over it. There was nothing. <laughs> I guess I have um, um, excess. Excess. Yeah. Excess. Yeah. Excess. So something like too much. Doing I'm doing too much. Doing something yeah, that's yeah. excessive, and it's that's like, yeah. that's not good. That's not right. Yeah. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Uh, I have a confession. I got yes. related. Okay. <laughs> this morning, yes, I also have a coffee. Uh, <laughs> and I made, this time I didn't accept. Accept. This morning, uh -huh. since I was told to go do the uh, compost. I saw a couple people drinking well, tea or something, sitting by the cafe anyway. <laughs> so I gave up. And I bought a spark of a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> the whole tea with no coffee except that temptation. So that, 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 okay. Another confession. <laughs> Thank you. I don't deserve love. I what? I don't deserve love. I don't deserve love. Right. That hurts. That's a hurt one. I'm a faker. I'm a, f oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a faker. <laughs> I'm a faker, I'm a fake, I'm a fake. Anybody else? Are we done? That's it for us? It's all my fault. It's all my fault. <laughs> it's all my fault. I should be ashamed of myself. I should be ashamed of myself. Good, anybody? I need X to be happy. I need, <laughs> I need blank, fill it in to be happy. Yeah. I don't know about planning it needs to get done and where that would fall in. Oh, that's just busy mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about really deep, the things that we're identified with. See, thoughts like this, I'm not good enough, you know, I, um, it's my fault, that kind of thing. Those are core, right? Those are core, those thoughts 
you know, it's really interesting when we start looking at the mind, there are a lot of, we think, you know, important and difficult thoughts that are really superficial. Anger is a, you know, what makes us angry and um, jealousy and all these things are really kind of superficial and they're hiding, well anyway, they're, they're hiding us from these much deeper core identifications and that's eventually what we need to get to. You know, and we tiptoe slowly, we, we kind of, you know, work with these <clears throat> thoughts that are up here, emotions that are up here, emotions, emotions confirming and, you know, reifying these thoughts and the thoughts work with the emotions and, you know, you get a, it's kind of like a, um, building a, something. Can I, I suggest a practice that's really helpful yeah. for me around moving it yeah. from up here to down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, to start to name, the, you know, just like yeah. we label sound, yeah. we label the thoughts. So once I did a practice and I realized every thought I had was a thought of I'm good, I'm bad, I'm good, I'm bad, back and forth, ping pong, and how they, you know, I'm good and then the bad comes. So just like I'm not good enough, if we could get rid of the pro- content of the particular why mm-hmm. I'm not good mm-hmm. enough, because I drink a cup of coffee, just label it, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, yeah, that's great, yeah, that's a really good practice, labeling those thoughts, it gives you just a teeny weeny space, so you're not so bought into them, it's a very good practice. Today a lot, I, I don't know, I came up with this, a lot of the thoughts are something like, whatever, I just would say, whatever. And it really worked. And it worked? Okay. Whatever. Anyway, it's interesting because when you get down to those really core ones, the, the little self um, begins to like protest. It's a very interesting time because it, it, will, um, it will make you feel like bad that you're, you know, as you're beginning to work with it and let go and not believe those core thoughts so, more, so, uh, so much. The self, which, like I told you before, is um, um, sorry, I'm not remembering words very well. It's its own thing, you know. It, it all these patterns and energies and that go to make up the self. It just keeps. It goes on by itself. It has very little to do with you. And like I said the other day, basically, it's suffering, and it doesn't care if you suffer the consequences of it. But the thing is, we don't have to dislike it because we made it to survive. Anyway, this is my idea about it. We don't have to hate it. It's, it's, it has thought. It has helped us for years to survive whatever it is that we needed to survive by making it. So it's not like this bad thing. It's to be appreciated and let go of, right? So what happens, it's really interesting. What, bless you. What happens is, is that um, it begins to say, it begins to say, you know, what do you think you're doing? You know, you're betraying me. I've helped you so much all along this time. What do you think you're doing? You're not going to make it without me. Really, I'm not kidding. It's serious. And it's, and it, and it's true. You know, it's, it's trying to help. It's still trying to help in its way. I felt like I was going to die. Like, or that 
Yes. That the that that activity felt like all I was. Mm -hmm. And so if yeah. I stepped away from that, who would you be? Exactly. Who would you be? I mean, this is what you've known yourself to be. It's exactly right. And it is a death. It is a kind of a death. That it, that it feels that way, and it is that way. Katie, did you want to say that? Thank you for bringing that up because I did want to say, in our way, in the Soto Zen way, um, it's one of the reasons we have these forms, or one of the ways you can relate to these forms, is in this very way that Katie was bringing up. Because um, when you when you bump up again, they're arbitrary. They, really, they're they're arbitrary. We just have agreed to do this. We agree when we walk in, we bow in the Zen. We agree. When we pass this, we do a little shashu bow. We agree. We walk slowly in the zendo. We agree. We walk like this shashu. We agree. We bow before going into it. We, we just have these arbitrary agreements that we call forms. These are forms. And um, I was going to say, in the same way that you have forms, you know, that you do all the time, all through your day, you just don't recognize them as forms. Like how you put, you know, how you undo. Every time I undo the toothpaste top, I'm really aware that I'm undoing. I do, I do it pretty much the same way every time I put the toothpaste on the thing and I take off the top of the toothbrush. I have electric toothbrush that so comes to the top. I take, and I do it almost the same way almost every day. And every day I'm noticing that I do it the same way every day. And I'm thinking, that's really interesting. You know, <laughs> it's kind of a, it's a ritual. It's, you know, a ritual. But anyway. Um, so the forms give us this tremendous opportunity, and a lot of that opportunity is resistance. To what? You know, so somebody didn't put cheese on the, you know, in your way of eating uh, oatmeal, somebody didn't put cheese. You know, so, or if you've been here a while and you know the forms, and somebody comes in who doesn't know the forms, <laughs> right? 
So in all kinds of ways, you get to see yourself. It's their mirror. Use them as a mirror. And if you resist them, it's your own, you know, something is going on in there that you can look at, which is underneath reason why. And it's a, you know, it's a selfing reason, a selfing mechanism why you're resisting the forms or doing whatever, or, you know, doing them perfectly, or worried about doing them perfectly, right? <laughs> there are all kinds of um, opportunities with the forms. Question? Um, yeah, I had just a similar experience, but with, just with the social aspect of mm-hmm. the In fact, mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of other people, but you're totally mm-hmm. in solitude, essentially. Yes. Um, and just seeing my own, just the seesaw between affection, contempt, you know, yeah. fear, uh, and then sort of reflecting and being, well, that person didn't do anything. No. <laughs> I know. He just walked around and I know. like I am. You know, I, know. Like, <laughs> I know. I know. But it's incredible. It's like the limits of how far my mind can go to like unite something. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's so true. It's shocking, you know, yeah. really, when you see what it's doing. And if you're not aware, you, you, you're doing that all the time when you're walking around you know, in your office, too, right? Out of habit, out of whatever it is. It's true. So to take a really good look, use this opportunity to, in silence. So you can get a really good look at what's going on up there. It's a terrific opportunity. And even better than, even if I may say, this is going to be a plug for the kitchen, even better than the forms, let me just say it that way for a minute is the kitchen. I mean, <laughs> right. The kitchen is just an extraordinary opportunity to um, use it as a mirror for yourself. It is without peer except in the, in, the, in the Zendo, but actually in some ways it's better than the Zendo because in the, for cooks, you know, you put something out there and people like it and you're just puffed up, you know, and you put something out there and nobody says that it's good and you're crushed, you know, or you're chopping things and somebody comes over just to get the thing done and suggests that you do it in a, what they think is a better way and you're livid because, you know, because some stupid idiot told you what to do, you know, who do they, don't they think I can do this? And on and on and on it goes and, and because it's a pressured situation because you have to get three, or in this case two meals, but eventually three meals out. It's a little bit of pressure for everybody in the kitchen. So it, your stuff just comes up right after the next, after the next. It's an incredibly good opportunity. And I would suggest, and I'm going to suggest it over and over and over again to you, even if you're not sitting session, come and volunteer, you know, um, when other people are sitting to support the session, work in the kitchen, you know, and, and, and to, just to support the session anyway. But to, but to be part of the session, working in the kitchen is terrific for that in every way. In fact, it's the only, I feel really obviously strongly about it. I spent a lot of time in the kitchen in the monastery and like I was telling to somebody the other day, when I first started working in the kitchen, I couldn't bear what I was saying. I just couldn't bear it. And the kitchen <clears throat> in Tassajara, the kitchen of the monastery is right in the middle of the monastery and far away, not that far away, you know, somewhat far away, out <coughs> where there aren't any buildings or anything. It's in a big canyon. There's a flats, they call the area the flats, and at that time there was nothing out there, nothing was on there. 
and this pressure cooker of the kitchen would just build and build and build, and I couldn't, I couldn't take it. It just, I, that what I was seeing in myself was so anathema to me that I. Anyway, I used to, I used to literally run out of the kitchen. <laughs> I used to walk in while I was still in Tassajara because you're not allowed to. It's not supposed to run. But then when I got to the edge of the flats, it was just. Get me out of here! <laughs> I would just scream into the mountain, you know, my pain. It's just, it's fabulous if you're into that kind of suffering. <laughs> you know, but then the last time, and I, I, I was Tenzo um, quite a bit over a long period of time, so the last time I was Tenzo, it was just such a different um, experience for me because my self wasn't being built by, you know, if somebody told me to do something differently, okay, thank you very much. You know, or if I, I mean, it's just, so kitchen practice is a, um, ah, it's good. It's, really <laughs> it's a really good mirror for the Tenzo in particular and then for everybody else in it. Anyway. I love kitchen practice. And of all of the places in the monastery, the five main um, practice um, responsibility units, people, jobs, are um, the director and the tenzo and the shika, the person who is the guest helper, the work leader, and the treasurer. Those are the five main, that's how it was organized then. Of all of those, the only one that Dogen wrote about, a whole fascicle, a whole book about, really, was the Tenza in the kitchen. It's that important. So, um, anyway, there it is. All right, now I'm going to read you a paper. Paper by, uh, excuse me, by somebody, a student, for final paper. She's 17, junior to be a senior. <coughs> Not many classes I have taken at Bay have truly altered my perspectives apart from Buddhism. Buddhism isn't simply a religion, but an influential, liberating look on life. Through meditation, I have learned to be aware of the damage I can do to myself because of attachment to the negative thoughts and ideas that pass and how to let go of these feelings. Thanks to this class, I feel more relaxed and comfortable with myself and the people around me. The experiences and knowledge shared with my classmates will last a lifetime. At the start of my educational journey through Buddhism, we immediately began to learn about the Four Noble Truths and what they mean. The Four Noble Truths are suffering, the cause of suffering, that the cause of suffering is grasping, and the Eightfold Path. In particular, the third noble truth helped open my eyes to my own suffering. Franz Dahl, um, Gil Franzdahl's book, um, The Issue at Hand, great book, they read. Franz Dahl discusses the third noble truth by saying, quote, non-clinging is the means to release. Then, when, then we will be less inclined to cling to any state. Don't cling to any attainment, unquote. Prior to Buddhism, I would grasp to thoughts and ideas without realizing that they were making me more upset. After it was established that some suffering is optional, I began to look into my past. During meditation, I would pay attention to when a negative idea or thought would arise 
and work on letting it go without giving it substance. Last year, when I was adjusting to my dad's new girlfriend, I would constantly cling to the idea that I didn't like her or that she was too quiet and awkward and it clouded my judgments of her. Because I grasped to the idea, quote, I hate her, unquote, I began to hang out less with my father and felt a growing resistance, a distance between us. I suffered because I was feeling detached from my dad and became very introverted. Once I recognized the fact that I was clinging to one idea about her, I realized I was making myself suffer. Now I enjoy my dad's girlfriend's company and once again have become even closer with my dad. I find myself engaging in long, longer conversations with her and realizing and enjoying her positive attributes. Allowing a negative image of someone to be all you see makes it harder to change your opinion of them and open up. I was not allowing my dad's girlfriend the opportunity to show, her true, to show me her true colors. Buddhism has taught me how to become happier by making the effort to not grasp thoughts and ideas that only lead to suffering. Hatred does not bring happiness. Dependent co-arising is another concept I was able to learn from and grow. Without placing the blame on myself or my surroundings, I simply acknowledge now that our surroundings affect the decisions we make. Dependent co-arising is defined as, quote, when certain causes are set in motion, others inevitably follow because they are linked as in a chain, unquote. From the book, What is Meditation? by Picard, great book for kids. Before Buddhism class, I would take the blame for all my unintentional actions. A few months ago, I told a friend I would go to the gym with them because my brother had promised to give me a ride. Because I was promised a ride, I told my friend I would meet him at 6 o'clock. At the last minute, my brother decides to tell me he wouldn't give me a ride because he wants to watch the basketball game on TV. I then had to take the bus. I was nearly half an hour late to the gym. Although I told my friend I was going to be late, I still felt horrible. I repeatedly apologized and said I would make it up to him, but it wasn't my personal decision to make my friend wait. Because of the things I couldn't control, I was unable to meet my commitments and beat myself up over something I couldn't have known would happen. Now, after learning about dependent co-rising, I no longer feel that I should badger and blame myself for something unavoidable. A simple example is last week when I received a bad grade on a writing assignment. Normally, I would let a bad grade ruin my whole mood and day, but I began to analyze the situation. The reason I did badly on the assignment was due to multiple things. I had arrived home late the night before because I had a family dinner, and on top of that, I hadn't gotten sleep the night before and was so exhausted, I felt I was physically unable to do any work. Instead of letting this grade ruin my day, I simply accepted it and decided to work harder next time. Moving on was the only thing I could have done in the situation, so there was no point in dwelling on my failure. Little things truly do affect your decisions and daily routine. Everything is connected and everything impacts your life, even without realizing it. Buddhism class helped me see the connections of my surroundings and my decisions. This idea that everything flows together, that there is one body, is often talked about in Buddhism, quote, 
We call this this and that that, but all of it is nonetheless one body. Because it's one body, the world of form exists. Because the world of form exists, it is one body." Unquote. Glassman, um, his book, Infinite Circle. Another good book. Realizing that we are all part of one world and somehow are connected to everything has helped me understand and view the world in a totally new way. My perceptions of people have completely changed and I have been able to mature. I no longer feel hatred toward anybody and I'm much more relaxed about thoughts and ideas that once controlled my life. Learning to just live without clinging has quietly altered my life immensely. Buddhism has relaxed my outlook on life and made it easier for me to accept things just the way they are, without criticism, just simply life as it is. Thanks a lot. I thanked you when we started. I thank you at the end. We're kind of done. I think we have lunch, and then uh, thank you. Uh, Cook's Jundo, which we can all, uh, we will all join in. <coughs> and um, so we're not quite over, so I think I should bow and leave. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.